0: Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Agent Missional Podcast, and this is episode 41. And today we're going to talk about decision making and how do we do that mutually. Let's do this. We're back, we're back, we're back. Hello, we are at Tyndale University, formerly Tyndale University College and Seminary, <laughs> and formerly Ontario Bible College and Ontario Theological Seminary. It has officially changed the name. This is our studio away from our studio. We've recorded a number of episodes here, and so we enjoy being here. As always, Shu and Bernard here. What's going on? What up? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. How do you guys feel about the name change? Okay, I don't know. Like. <laughs> we are grateful that they allow us to record our episodes here, and we are sitting in the educational library in one of their study rooms, and it's a great place to record. Shout out, seminary president Zinia. <gasps> yeah, shout yeah. out, Xenia. Yeah. That's right. We're going to get you on this year. Jumping right into the conversation today. We're talking about decision-making, and so right off the bat, who makes the decisions in your church, and what does that process look like?
1: In my church, we have two co-lead pastors, and they basically, yeah, I think, call the overall shots. But they work together with a senior pastoral team, and there's a elder board that that also is the, in the process as well, and, and is there for accountability and 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 vision, you know, pushing. Mm. So yeah, so there's quite a, a number of hands in there, but yeah, it's definitely still. Uh, Kind of corporate, kind of kind of atmosphere. So it's just, uh, I think we've learned a lot from, yeah, the, the business world. I think to to do leadership, but in my campus site that we have, basically, I guess I, I'm the the lead pastor, visioner, campus pastor. But I try. I've always told my leadership team, and if they, and if you're listening to this, you know, podcast right now, and people from my church. Yeah, we 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 try to go. Hey, we're in this together. We all take ownership together. We we take you know the leadership together. So we try to you know make we make decisions mutually. I don't I don't make those decisions, but we like how do we go about ministry and you know guiding people in our church to follow Christ t- together. So I try to definitely make that uh, less hierarchical. Mm. Best way I would right. say.
2: I think in a way like we're similar to what you had described in uh, downtown Markham. Like our church is small, but we have actually a good number of um, pastors. So there's three of us. I am by title lead pastor, but I don't think I practice like historically what people have thought, like the lead (laughs) or sometimes people call it senior pastor. Because even in the very genesis as we were forming the DNA of our church, we recognize that Jesus is actually our lead and senior pastor. Mm. Uh, And this is not meant to be like a cliche, but what does it mean for us as a team to be learning to discern and listening to the voice of Christ as he is guiding and leading us? And so over the last couple of months, we've actually been wrestling with cultivating a discernment pathway for our leadership to discern and to make decisions. So that is never just like one person making a decision, but that together we're we're, we're wrestling with it together. One, one person might be bringing it up as a point of discussion, mm-hmm. but we are learning to listen to God and listen listening to one another through the process. So like we actually this year we had an intern come in and I, I don't know if she feels it, but probably most interns don't get much of a say mm. in the direction and what's happening within a church because they're there just to do a task. But we we actually invited her. It's like, so what do you think? Like what, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing God saying? So she actually participated in all our leadership team meetings or like soon to be eldership team meetings. We, we believe
0: in the corporate conversation
2: and discernment and decision-making.
0: Sure. Awesome. I know for my context, it is this delicate balance between pastors and deacons and boards, and each one has a different focus. And when it's working, it can be awesome because I think discerning together and working together and seeing those as opportunities to be the church together are great. I think it's it's when there may be differing opinions where things can be challenging, and it is really, you know, how do we kind of work through that? And, you know, how do we see, like, leadership and decision-making be affected by the ways in which we feel called by God to? And we do have a senior pastor as well, and he is striving to see us all come together to make those decisions together. But there's a lot to kind of work through. And so I think this is why this kind of conversation is kind of timely for us as we talk more about this and as we continue to hopefully imagine different ways and understand different ways of making decisions together. Now, I just want to ask, out of the, the three perspectives that we had just been talking about right now, actually four perspectives, because Shu, you mentioned two perspectives. You mentioned <laughs> one from you know the main church site, but then also the one that you are a part of as well currently. Would you guys say that is pretty much how you would describe the Canadian Asian perspective or Bernard, you even mentioned something earlier about the traditional title of senior pastor or lead pastor and that role in decision-making. So how would you guys kind of describe the Canadian Asian way or traditionally has, has seen decision-making?
1: Patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely from a, from a Canadian Asian perspective, like immigrants who are coming in, the main thing that, I think we take from culturally, from most Asian cultures, is a patriarchal, tribal kind of thing. Like, don't even talk about denominational stuff, (laughs) but just even culturally first. Sure. But what does that practically look like when a decision needs to be made? Father makes the decision.
2: Because there is a high emphasis on the role of senior pastor. Sure. in probably most of the Canadian Asian churches, I think, that's why, like, this is a position that, like, everybody's like, we need to find a senior pastor,
0: right, in order for the church to be able to move forward. But what do they mean when they say that? What do they mean when they say, we need to find a senior pastor? Meaning, are they looking for a specific type of leader with a specific type of skills and gifts? Liam Neeson, taken.
2: Well, uh, but- <laughs> well like, they, ha- they have to be multilingual. Multilingual? Yeah. Uh, okay. With a PhD degree or some, of some sort of doctrine degree. Okay. Um,
0: o-
1: old? Cool. yeah, like, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, like fi- 50s, fifties fifty sixties at least married with kids, so
0: let me reframe it a bit. What are they looking for in that leader in regards to decision making?
1: Someone with vision from God, the the Moses, you know, who's went to the mountain, I don't know, like and who can come back down and make make the call to call the shots mm.
2: some people have said that like. The historical senior pastor is someone who's more like a type A personality, who's just kind of driven. They're clear; they they will take the church forward in a way, right? Like they are just so clear about everything.
0: So clarity and be able to move
2: the church forward and decision making. Decision making.
0: I think this kind of links very well with one of the things that we want to talk about today, which is the type of leader and especially how he is involved within decision making. And something that we have been hearing over the number of years is. Whether or not that the senior pastor should, should or should not be like a CEO type, like some people would kind of hope for this or some people would desire this, that the senior pastor would be the CEO to best manage a team, to make an executive call on the major decisions. He or she can't be primarily focused on the caring and walking alongside others because it could draw out the process and be inefficient and might not get anything done. What do you guys think of when you hear comments like that or when people are desiring more that type of leader? Where do you think that comes from
1: and do you think that has a place within the church? You know, being part of a larger church, I see the <laughs> this is part of the issue in a larger church in general. When you get to a point where your leaders cannot model like a certain kind of pastoral care that people are traditionally used to. Mm-hmm. So now you have a, an emphasis on the higher up leaders being, we're the more vision people. We're like, if you want to <laughs> twist scripture, <laughs> let's just say, but if you want to go that route of, well, we have deacons who are supposed to be providing the the care for the orphan and the widow and whatnot. And we're, we're doing the word and the, and the vision casting stuff up here. So we're going to do the higher level stuff. Mm. You You kind of get, Into that weird spot where it's just like, if you get so large, I get it. You have to organize yourself in a certain way that, okay, we just need some people to take care of the more decision-making and and quote-unquote leadership stuff. Everyone else does the more, we do the the more, not not littler stuff, lower stuff, but but yeah, the the everyday needs, the people, taking care of people's everyday needs.
0: So the care, the implementation, the execution, so...
1: And I and I think that's the, the hard part, which I see it too. If you're in a large organization, you hire people to fill in certain positions. And but the thing is like, is everyone can everyone have the same capacity? Is mm. everyone supposed to care for everyone? Everyone's supposed to know everyone? If you have a congregation of ten, then you can care for ten people. Right. Or or you have a congregation of thousand, so you should care for thousand people. Like how how do you do it? So but back to the decision making side. I think having a leader in place that way is like almost like well, let me deal with the high level stuff, quote unquote, and then we get other people to deal with the lower level stuff. Hmm.
2: It's like two things that come to mind. Like the first thing is like having a CEO esque like senior pastor or, or pastor, whatever. Like I f- I feel like it, it, in the corporatization of the role of pastorship, it also professionalizes the role of pastoring so it's almost like and i and i understand like and especially in bigger churches like there's so much going on uh so i i totally understand and sympathize but i also kind of wonder would that deferring of responsibility to the paid and CEO staff pastors
0: because
2: hmm. like that's the same way in the corporation right the ceo they make the decisions they make the big bucks they draw in the money they give dividends to, to the investors, right? like if you look at it from that way then it's kind of like, well, they better do a good job right. I wonder if there's some of that that kind of infiltrated into the church, and just kind of we see it like that too. So it's like mm. we're paying this guy's salary sure, so they better better do their stuff so that like our our corporation's
0: going to rise our and get some dividends. Yeah, gets <laughs> right? Paid off like and there's then there's an expectation behind you know hiring this person and paying him x amount of money because they are expecting him to lead yeah. things forward, to make the decisions. And, and him, I'll,
1: not her. Or her. Or her. We are inclusive <laughs> in that way here.
0: But
2: it's just like there's a deferring of like the, the responsibility and role within the church at large. And I, I just wonder if that, that might cause some of that. And the second thing that I kind of want to address a little bit was kind of what you were talking about, the processes and inefficiencies. Mm. It's like, how do we define that in a church? Like, what, what, do you, what do we mean by it? Like, and I, and I get it because I've been a part of a bigger church before. Like, and I get, like, there's there's a desire for movement and change. Like, like we can't waste time, but it's kind of like, it, if this is God's work and it's a movement of the Holy Spirit, you can't generate that. Right. Right? So, it's kind of like, so there's a little bit of a inconsistency there. And so, I don't know, just two thoughts that kind of come to mind when we're talking about CEO pastors.
0: mm.
1: Well, it's also like the CEO as pastor is not a traditional thing. It's something we've taken from more modern business. Oh, okay, right. But it's a more power issue. That's at mm. play from if you want to go even more traditionally, right? Like uh, the one lead, most reverend, bishop, priest, person, <laughs> whatever. I see this the business style thing, which is even changing in the business world, by the way. Yeah, especially see, startups. Yeah, see, seeing seeing a seeing a, the the lead person that the CEO. It used to be the the top guy with many hands underneath, right? Like with the the a thousand volunteers or a thousand uh, people under under that person. But in like e- even now that's changed. You, when you read anything by Collins or or Patrick Lencioni or these kind of leadership gurus, they're trying to explain no no no, you have to create a culture of leadership, a culture of, of people that are able to lead at different levels, and you empower people and you bring them collaborate more and you be Lencioni or someone wrote a book about like. Even being naked emotionally, mm. being naked and in like just being honest and vulnerable. Sure. Which never happened with right. CEO style leadership back then.
0: And perhaps not even in the Canadian Asian context too. Vulnerability is often not
1: expressed as much. Yeah. So it's just interesting that even the world is starting to see a, a, a need for that change. And like you're saying, in, in entrepreneurial side especially, mm-hmm. they're like, We're not I don't I'm not the the go to guy. We're we're in this together. Mm. Let's how yeah. do we Kind of, and then you have co ops. Like, how do we, we all own this together or whatever? Sure. Know.
0: So, I want to ask you guys about your journey a bit and how did you, as a leader, as a pastor, start to move in a direction where you start to invite more people into the decision making? And we want to talk about mutuality here. How did you guys get to that point where you have perhaps been in a certain tradition and experienced a certain way of decision making and leadership and then moved for yourself? To be thinking about how do I invite people in, you know, what was that process like for you guys?
2: In my own journey, one of the earliest experiences of having to invite other people in is because I realized that I'm not an expert. Okay. I think like, even though you may have a title and whatnot, you may have like theological education, but you don't have expert on everything.
0: Right. You don't know everyone. Mm.
2: You're one person that God has anointed to, to do certain kinds of ministry, but you can't do it all. And I think when I was working in youth ministry, like I I was humbled, like Mm. that I wasn't meant to do everything and I needed people. One of my greatest humbling lessons was, um, I remember having disagreements with certain people. Sure. And sometimes it's like, it sucks. Like you don't want to have disagreements. You don't have conflict. And you guys know me best. Like I hate conflicts. (laughs) Like I will shy away from it. But what I've learned the most was like, I think people who disagree with me the most were the most valued people on my Mm. team. And I feel like that was kind of the lesson of learning. Well, if we, if God's brought us together to lead and we're learning to practice mutuality, then I need to have people that that disagree and we need to work through some of the disagreements. We don't have to agree at the end, but we, we recognize that God has called us on this together. Sure. And we're, we're working through some of that stuff. Right. And so I think that's kind of where I guess the birth of like how I, reimagine leadership in a way. Sure. That it's not by powers or titles or name or authority, whatever. But at the end of the day, when we are in the trenches together, we're in the trenches together.
0: Mm. It's so interesting how it was out of necessity and recognizing your own limitations and not being an expert led to this almost epiphany of seeing it in a different way, in a new way. But, But I also think like
2: for me in that season too, like I I had the opportunity to build relationship with people before I started leading. Right. So it was out of relationships that we were leading and not because like I came in as a pastor. Mm. So I think there's a difference when we are leading out with relationship and not just like authority.
1: Mm. Yeah. And and that's hard, you know, like to, and this, this is not a critique just about a large church thing, but at the larger you get, the harder it is to develop relationships. Yeah, it's, for sure. So it's like, then of course, the most convenient way is to just, okay, let's let's just give people authority so that people just listen to this person, but I may not have their buy-in relationally or I may not even know what's going on in their lives so that I'm walking with them. Mm. And that's what the church is supposed to be for, but at times it's like, we're if we're too big, you know, how, how do we walk with these people? And like Bernard's saying, through a patient transformation, that's mm. not up to us, but is like, but yet we're still called to be very present with them. Sure. For me thinking about how I got to a place of mutuality is a bit more theological. Sure. I used to be I think a bit more on reading more literal interpre- interpretation of scripture and seeing men should be in charge, husband head you know head of the house is the head just as Christ is the head. But the more that I, you know, I studied, the more that I was I was challenged to to rethink my position and thank God I was open to it too. Was I started to see? Wait, how come there's so many screwed up men (laughs) (laughs) who can't lead? And how come? And and even for me, looking at myself as I'm I'm a guy, sure, and uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have it all down. Kind of like what B was saying. But what does it look like for Christ to be head? And we see it in Ephesians five. If we see Christ is the head, and we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And then you, you see passages about, you know, husbands and wives, and men and women, you, you're, you're getting to a point where you're like, wait, wh- Wait, who's in charge here? And then ha- what does it look like? And isn't it always easier? And I hear people always say this, well, it's easier to have someone just have the last vote, mm. right? You want that person to have the last vote. And I'm like, I don't think Christ dying for the church meant he has the last vote. It right. was he chose to die first. Yeah. He chose to sacrifice first. So <laughs> that's a hard, le- it was a hard lesson to, to imbo- still today, to embody. It, sure. And even like the word voting, it almost
2: like you personified power and authority. Mm. Yep. Right? Because you, you can choose. But then like, if we're really talking about the way of Christ, then the choice that he made was to give up his life. Right.
0: Yeah. Was to submit to the father. Oh man, this is some good chats. It's making me even think of the gospel of John where it talks about like, you know, when it's getting closer to the cross and right as Jesus is, you know, in that room with his disciples and he's and it says that like he's showing showing the greatest extent of his love and it starts with washing their feet. Hmm. But that's just hinting at the cross. That is hinting of him
1: lowering himself, sacrificing himself for the sake of those he loves. So that, that's kind of where how I kind of shifted on that and started to see, well, what does it look like to make those decisions mutually under Christ? Right. And we have different giftings, like you're saying, and we just went through, uh, our church just went through like a, the rules and thinking just that people bring these different gifts to the table and how the spirit is working in their yeah. lives. And it's, it's messy. It's it's not easy. It's hard. People are coming from different places. They're they're at different maturities, maturity level emotionally. But can we grow together and uh God willing move forward together in that way? But it's it's easier just to plow <laughs> plow it through. <laughs> sure.
0: Get it done. Yeah. Get it done. But you know what? Like, you know, throw back to that, that conversation with Alan Hirsch about reactivating the, you know, five-fold, apest mm-hmm. giftings and stuff like that. I I don't know if people have that, you know, perspective. Is that, you know, oh, God has given me these gifts, and I can be able to share my perspective through these giftings, and that voice is important for how we make a decision in the church. Like, is that even part of the understanding and the paradigm of how someone understands themselves as being part of the church.
1: I think the hardest part is that we haven't been modeled this much. Sure. I don't know about you guys, but like we have to create new imaginaries for this to happen and tell the stories of God working right, in the midst of that. Because I honestly did not learn that from generations past or I am sorry, I can't say that like hundred percent again, just generally, but it's just like, it, it, I did not learn leadership. In that way, but you know, but like I said, even like you go to honestly, you know, like it or not, like global leadership summit that a lot of people go to. Even the conversations there are changing radically, right? Right. So people are having more mutual conversations, even in leadership in companies and, and organizations. So the church, I, I hope, would be the ones that are would be the one that's showing the way forward in following Jesus and what how he would want it to be.
2: Yeah, I wonder if part of that too is kind of. Re- re- covering almost like an ancient way of seeing leadership too. I think we we think that even in the early church there's like bishops, and, and I think I think there was, but I, but some of that I wonder was was kind of also created over the years in our kind of Christian tradition that we need a voice and a continuation from the apostolic succession kind of idea. Mm. But I don't know, like if, if we just kind of take a moment and pause and we look back at Jesus and we look back at the the, the church that's described in Acts leadership was not a top-down thing. Leadership was actually around the table thing.
0: Mm, right.
2: You know, you think of the Last Supper and Jesus' teaching, they were all sitting at tables. And their, their councils, their gatherings, they were sitting around together. And I wonder if, like, even that posture is part of our new imaginaries or, like, reclaiming an old imagination. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> like, that idea of, like, flattened leadership Right, which is kind of messier, harder. It's not as efficient. Right. It's a process-driven thing. Sure. But, but I think that's part of the beauty
0: of it. Right. It's not about just rushing to the end result, productivity, success, but it is about, you know, tending to what God may be doing and saying and how around the table we can be living in that way and making decisions in that way. And I think for me to... You know, this whole part of wrestling with this idea of mutuality and how does it connect with the mission of God, it has been something that has changed my perspective drastically over the years. I think there's a type of decision-making process or a type of leader in which I've just grown up accepting and then thinking later on about like, oh, how might God be even redeeming this type of dynamic? How might Christ be? through his work, be showing us a different way. And when, you know, we are called to submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord in Ephesians, like, what does that look like in the process of decision-making and in, in pastoral ministry and leadership as well? And so I'm continuing to kind of learn more and more as I'm diving deeper into thinking about as God is restoring and redeeming all things and doing that work in the church and through the church, How does that look like within decision making and leadership as well? To wrap this episode up a little bit, I have a couple questions for you very quickly to get your take on it. So, the first one is if someone comes into your church and says, you know what, we're just expecting someone to make the decision for us, and we just want to follow wherever that person says we need to go, him or her, and we don't want to be a part of that decision making process at all what would you say to them?
1: Definitely not millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Bam! We're hitting it. Home run right there. You teach them. I would say, no, we, we want to teach you to be involved and to be part of uh, thinking, like, theologically thinking, like, how Christ would want you to be involved uh, with your gifting and how to contribute to the whole, I would be like, no, don't, don't come in with, with that. And like our, and our church wouldn't be about that. Right. Our church isn't like, you know, bl- just blindly leading. That sounds cultish. <laughs> yeah, someone's ready for a cult. It was cool. yeah. I mean.
0: <laughs> you know, without, you know, going too deeply into what intentions people might have, but for some, they might just feel like, oh, I'm not mature enough to be part of decision-making process, or, you know, I don't have anything to contribute or to be, actually adding into this. And some people do feel that way. That's for some reason why they have decided not to like participate in specific, the the decision-making process of the church and such like that. So, you know, what, what can we say? How do we like invite people really into that, you know, that type of space into that, into that type of dynamic of submitting to one another decision-making and also like implementing and executing together.
2: I can't help but just kind of keep hashing on the the thought of, like, relationship. Hmm. Because if you have relationship with the person as a church, then the hope is that they they sense that they're valued and loved in the community. Sure. And they're not just coming here just to follow. Hmm. But that they play a part of forming what the following in Christ looks like. Sure. And I think, like... Without the relationship and the engagement and, and people experiencing that, I'm not just here to download something on you. Right. <laughs> um, but actually, like, we're working on this together. It's more like a journey we're going on together. Mm. And I think, like, that, that will change. And I think at our church, too, like, there may be people who come in and thinking that, like, you know, just, just feed me. Just, just tell me the goods. Mm. right? But it's like, well, that's kind of not how our church works. Sure. Like, A, we're <laughs> very small. So you can't hide, you can't, you can't get away from whatever, but we're, we're like, y- y- there's a space for all of us to participate, you know, and that's why we do meals together. Right. Like we do potlucks because like, you don't know how to cook, you can buy a piece of bread, but that's still participating. Yes. So I think like that's the kind of narrative that we've been kind of wrestling with.
1: And, and I'd, also, I'd also say too, in regards to that, is when I take kind of your question to the extreme. You also don't create a church structure where you're so democratic. It's just like let's everyone vote. Like back to the voting thing, right? Because I think that's the other problem, where it's just oh, every everyone has to vote. Everyone has to do it in that way. But there's also why we have eldership in the church. You have a, a level of leadership. I think that. But I, I agree with Bernard hundred percent. If your leaders that you've put into that position to whether it's to teach or or to lead, create vision or, or make or make decisions, if you don't have a relationship with the people on that and you're not you don't have space to talk about those things, that's a problem. Sure. That's where the power dynamics goes go awry. So I would say it's it's not just this democratic let's get everyone to vote on this topic, but you also learn to trust, hey, some of these people, men and women, like we trust, like they are saying we move in this direction, they're explaining it to us, they're, they're talking to it with us, and mm-hmm. we're going to dialogue with them and how do we move forward together versus let's all make a decision with every option on the table. That's mm. crazy. Right. And I think it's for
2: people to experience that too. Like It's not just like you come in and like you. you know, the, sometimes you need to be reframed in, from a new perspective of looking at that. So recently I, even, I, I was kind of preaching from Acts 15 about the Council of Jerusalem and it's fascinating. Like, it's not just like Peter comes up and is like, well, this is what we're going to do, right? No, like Peter talks from his experience. Uh, Paul and Barnabas comes up and they talk about from their experience. Sure. And then James comes up, who's a leader of Jerusalem, the Church of Jerusalem. He goes, like, this is what the scripture says. So there's like a multitude of people sharing in what God has been doing right? in this discernment process. Mm. So I think like, you know, for someone who's who's coming in, like, oh, we don't have value. Well, if you're experiencing God,
0: if the Holy Spirit's at work in your life, you do have something to offer. Sure. That is encouraging, for sure. And I love that example, how it's not like one person coming in, like a CEO, and just dictating what we're going to do. But everyone sharing, everyone listening, yeah. right? There's a, that's, there's a listening component to it, but also discerning together and and seeing what that next step is. And that's great. So the final, final question is, and this is kind of following up on what Shu had already mentioned a little bit about eldership and elders and such like that. So what can a decision-making process look like where even if it is an idea that is new or something that is unfamiliar or something that may be in a completely different direction than where things have gone before, how can you present it? How can you invite others into it? And how do you do it in a way that honors the elder? And especially in the Canadian Asian context, honor and shame is a huge component to it. So how do we make decisions in ways that honor the elders? And what are some perhaps like healthy ways to do it or and unhealthy ways to watch out for?
1: That's so loaded. There's so much stuff in that <laughs> because there's ver- varying issues that you could bring to the table and ver- variables you could bring to the table, I think. Mm-hmm. But if you're just saying some important things to consider is I do think it's important to try to make the decision like with different people at the table. Mm. Like you're, you're trying to have different perspectives there that you, it's a communal discernment. I think you would hope that, or at least you try to frame it in that way as best as possible versus top down. Like, and I'm not saying top down is, is the worst, especially if you empower people like the, you know that's actually a good word, that you empower leaders to make certain decisions. But the thing is that are you also creating space to to discern things communally, to to pray about those things, to even disagree, right? right? To have those spaces and talk about things in an honest way. And I think traditionally we haven't had a lot of those spaces. You just kind of close your mouth because the the older leader said something. Mm. The older male leader, older male white leader I don't know, <laughs> said something. You know, and so but. How do you, you know, allow for the, the discernment, the discussion, the dialogue to happen? I think those are critical um, so that, you know, and do you pray even for that? Hey, God, we believe that you're going to speak to us in this way. It's almost the, the epiclesis kind yes. of stuff. We believe that you will, you will work. Uh, we believe, Spirit, you will work at this, at this time. And we, we wait upon you for that sure. in our experience sharing and whatnot, like we're mm-hmm. sharing.
2: I wonder if also kind of this, because you brought up honoring your elders in mm-hmm. a way, I wonder if it begins not actually at the point of decision making or discernment. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think like sometimes we think like we just we just need to get through this meeting. Mm-hmm. But like I've been harping kind of the whole podcast on relationship. And I think sometimes it's just build the relationships before and after the meeting. Sure. Right? Like you, you're getting to know the people that you're serving alongside with. Even though you may not agree with them, or like they're difficult people to work with, whatever. Like to have that relationship that enters into um, this the season of discernment, like it, it really brings a lot of change. Mm-hmm. I've been reading Dan White Jr.'s book uh, Love Over Fear, and like he kind of emphasized on that too, and he's saying how. People of, of differing perspectives as long as when they come together, things might change mm. because instead of a, instead of an issue they're tackling, they have a person that they know yes was bringing up the issues sure, right so so I think it changes the dynamic a lot, and I wonder too, like sometimes when we have these meetings and we get all angry and frustrated and fuming and whatnot, like is our posture to can then retract and not have relationship? With these people because they are so different than us or against us, or is it to embrace and to pursue that relationship? Yeah, and I think sometimes, like uh, as hard as it may be, like maybe that's part of what it means to honor.
1: Hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think that's the, that's hard in a in an intense deci- decision making. For process. sure. Yeah, that's no. the that's that's where it's like a fire <laughs> that, that you have to kind of go through at times. Like I'm not saying it should be. Sure. It's just that's what usually happens. So it's like, it is an interesting place to like practice that. But it's like how, how
2: subversive it is in the midst of fire.
1: You're still like with that posture to engage. Sure. You know, like I, I just, yeah, I haven't seen it modeled well. Yeah. Very frankly. Yeah.
2: No, I know. I'm just yeah. saying, I'm, I mean, I'm just pushing it right. Like, yeah, cause, for sure. cause we just talked a lot about the business model. Right. Right. Like business model, they probably won't. Um, because if the disagreement, somebody probably get fired or whatnot. Right? I don't
0: know. Um, <laughs> We're not going to go down that rabbit trail but today. Just kinda but just kind of like, like if the church can't model it, then I don't know where it's going to come from. Yeah, for sure. Everything that you guys are sharing presents quite a challenge to us. I mean, on one side, before decisions need to be made, are we growing and establishing that relationship, that foundation? of where we're entering into a space or around the table, and to be looking at one another, knowing one another's hearts, treating each other as a brother and sister, and especially for those who are elders, to be able to be speaking respectfully, knowing where they're coming from as well, to be able to you know, invite them in. That is a great way to pre- like prevent issues from arising. But I think, I think where the challenge is for us too is if we haven't had that opportunity and we're in the fire of the decision-making process, what may be revealing about, you know, the relationship we do have with each other and with our elders or those who are above us. And, you know, what can it look like after the fact to be like, okay, you know what? We, We weren't seeing eye to eye and maybe things are, you know, we're emotionally reacting or responding to things. Let's take a step back. Let's get to know each other where we're at and such. And not to treat each other as, you know, the opposites, uh, like the antagonists or the the enemy. But to be like, okay, we recognize that we didn't set up that foundation earlier. <laughs> and this revealed it. Now let's see this as a challenge to now build that and work toward that together. Easier said than done. Oh, but for sure. Yeah. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening to us today. Hopefully this conversation has been helpful or has stirred up some interesting questions for you we'd love to hear from you you can reach us on instagram facebook email or by twitter and if you have any thoughts you know let us know we'd love to continue to dialogue with you on that if you haven't done so already please remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're on that helps continue to help us get this conversation out there and to invite more people into it And once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.
2: Peace.